Welcome to the November 5th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a study on the involvement of lysine-specific demethylase 1A in hematopoietic stem cell expansion. Next, we'll examine the role of platelet receptor PAR4 in venous thromboembolism. And finally, we'll investigate the relative contributions of maternal versus fetal hepcidin in embryonic iron endowment in both healthy and inflammatory states. This week's first featured article is a paper by Agathy Swaran Subramanian, Jonas Larsen, and colleagues at Sweden's Lund University and Karolinska Institute, examining the mechanisms of ex vivo expansion of human hematopoietic stem cells, or HSCs, specifically the role of the epigenetic regulator lysine-specific demethylase 1A, or LSD1. First, by way of background, while the life-saving potential of allogeneic stem cell transplantation is firmly established, treatment is frequently limited by lack of donors. One solution is the use of umbilical cord blood, which holds several advantages over other sources, including broader HLA compatibility and a lower incidence of graft-versus-host disease. However, use of cord blood is limited by the small number of HSCs per unit, as a result, strategies for ex vivo stem cell expansion have become a focus of intense interest. The pyrimidoindole derivative UM171 has emerged as one promising approach. This compound has been shown to significantly expand the number of cord stem cells and is currently undergoing evaluation in clinical trials. However, the precise target and molecular mechanism of UM171 remain to be determined. In their current research, the Swedish team examined a potential role for LSD1 in ex vivo expansion. Studies in mice models had shown that knockdown of LSD1 restricts hematopoietic differentiation and triggers the expansion of HSCs in bone marrow. Given that knockdown of LSD1 expanded murine stem cells in vivo, the investigators hypothesized that LSD1 inhibition in cultured human cells might facilitate expansion ex vivo. In fact, this turned out to be the case. First, the team used several known inhibitors of LSD1 to characterize the effects on stem cell propagation. In particular, the researchers demonstrated that stem cell expansion in the presence of LSD1 inhibition was due to reduced differentiation and a preserved immature state, rather than increased proliferation. Interestingly, these effects were observed in cord blood as well as in adult bone marrow, indicating that LSD1 inhibition for ex vivo expansion may be useful across different tissue sources and stages of development. For the next phase of study, the team selected UM171 as a positive control based on that compound's established success in ex vivo expansion. The team discovered that LSD1 inhibition triggers distinct phenotypic and molecular features in progenitor cells that are highly similar to the effects of treatment with UM171. This indicated a common mechanistic pathway and raised the question of whether UM171 may act through modulation of LSD1 activity. However, in initial experiments, in which the team sought to assess whether UM171 is a direct inhibitor of LSD1, the results were negative. UM171 failed to inhibit LSD1 activity, 
arguing against a role in modifying the enzyme's function. The researchers then asked if UM171 might perturb any of the protein complexes to which LSD1 is known to bind. This time, the answer was yes. The greatest effect was seen with RCOR1, a core member of the co-rest complex. Notably, the protein levels of RCOR1 were almost completely abolished following UM171 treatment. To further elucidate whether CoRest may be directly or indirectly targeted by UM171, the team performed a time course analysis using AML cell lines. They found clearly reduced levels of both RCOR1 and LSD1 within the first three hours. The rapidity of the observed effect was consistent with direct targeting of proteins for degradation. The researchers then sought to evaluate the selectivity of UM171 on LSD1 protein complexes. They found that UM171 preferentially degraded co-rest-bound LSD1 compared to the unbound fraction. This suggested that UM171 perturbs LSD1 by selectively degrading the co-rest complex. Finally, the authors sought to directly assess whether disruption of the co-rest complex can mediate cell expansion. They did this by using CRISPR-Cas9 to knock out RCOR1. Through various experimental approaches, they confirmed that the functional loss of co-rest does, in fact, induce stem cell expansion, thereby substantiating that this process constitutes a key component of the mechanism of UM171. In her commentary, Heather O'Leary from Indiana University School of Medicine cites that one of the most important findings of this elegant study is the demonstration that UM171 induced abrupt and efficient proteasomal-mediated degradation of LSD1 and the co-rest complex, especially RCOR1. She notes that this research provides a first-of-its-kind, in-depth investigation of the mechanistic regulation of the expansion, propagation, and engraftment of HSCs via UM171. She adds that these data provide a foundation for future studies that aim to dissect the biology of HSC expansion, as well as to generate clinical approaches for manipulating both normal and malignant stem cells. Next, we look at a paper by Sue Hahn, Marvin Neiman, and colleagues at Case Western Reserve, the University of California, Irvine, and the Invent International Consortium for Venous Thromboembolism, or VTE, clinical research. This article explores the mechanism of activation of the platelet receptor PAR4 and its role in VTE. Physiologically, PAR4 plays an important role in bleeding homeostasis by mediating sustained thrombin signaling in platelets. PAR4 is activated in the body by proteolysis of the N-terminus, resulting in exposure of a tethered ligand. However, the structural basis of PAR4 activation and the location of its ligand binding site have not been elucidated. Clinically, PAR4 therapies have emerged as a new class of antiplatelet agents, with one drug already on the market and others under investigation. But to date, PAR4 agents have focused only on coronary artery disease. Despite its key role in platelet biology, PAR4 has not been studied extensively in peripheral vascular disease. 
To begin their investigation, the team employed hydrogen deuterium, or HD exchange, computational modeling, and signaling studies to determine the molecular mechanism for tethered ligand-mediated PAR4 activation. First, HD exchange revealed that the ligand binding site is composed by transmembrane domains 3 and 7. Building on this finding, computational modeling predicted an interaction between glycine-48 from the PAR4-tethered ligand and threonine-153 from the binding site. To test this in cells, the team generated cell lines with mutated threonine-153. Consistent with the hypothesis, a significant reduction in PAR4 signaling was observed in the mutated strains. To further support their hypothesis, the researchers used signaling assays to demonstrate that the robust calcium signal produced by exposing wild-type PAR4 to an activating agent was abolished by mutating threonine-153. Taken together, these findings confirmed that threonine-153, within the ligand binding site, is critical for PAR4 activation. But this was not the team's only critical discovery. Using their findings from HD exchange and computational modeling, the researchers also identified a previously unknown function of extracellular loop 3, or ECL3, in PAR4 activation. Based on the location of ECL3 relative to the PAR4 ligand binding site, the researchers hypothesized that this loop serves as a gatekeeper by swinging out following activation and allowing the tethered ligand to access the binding pocket. Computational modeling showing that ECL3 adopts an out position upon thrombin activation of PAR4 further supported this potential gatekeeper function. Extending their hypothesis, the team turned their attention to the two proline residues located in ECL3. Prolines located in loops often play a critical role in the rigidity of these regions, leading the team to postulate that prolines 310 and 312 are important for maintaining loop rigidity for PAR4 activation. The researchers had previously shown that naturally occurring variants in human PAR4 alter receptor reactivity. One of these variants changes proline 310 to leucine, and the team believed that this would increase flexibility of ECL3 and modify its effects on PAR4 reactivity. When testing this alteration in cell lines, they found, as predicted, that the substitution impaired activation of PAR4. The researchers were thus able to confirm that intact rigidity of ECL3 is essential to PAR4 activation. Returning to the clinical question addressed by the research, the team turned to the multi-ancestry genome-wide association studies of the INVENT consortium to see if they could find a clinical correlation between the leucine polymorphism and VTE. They found that consistent with the reduction in PAR4 reactivity demonstrated experimentally, the presence of leucine at codon 310 was associated with a 15% relative risk reduction of VTE. In his accompanying commentary, Michael Hollenstadt of the University of Michigan notes that this research represents a significant advance in our understanding of the structural regulation of PAR4 activation and for identifying a previously unrecognized role for PAR4 in VTE. These new insights may serve as a blueprint for development of novel, selective PAR4 inhibitory agents for use in patients at high risk of VTE. In addition, According to Dr. Hollenstadt, 
By identifying a PAR4 polymorphism that lowers the risk of VTE, the researchers have further established the importance of platelets in VTE pathobiology and have identified a potential biomarker to assess individual VTE risk. One final note, the online version of this research includes a video of the computer modeling depicting how ECL3 engages as part of PAR4 activation. Interested listeners are encouraged to check it out. Finally, we turn to the question of maternal fetal iron homeostasis. In their current paper, Vina Sankai, Tom Gans, Eliza Betanemeth, and colleagues at the University of California, Los Angeles, examined the role during pregnancy of the iron-regulating hormone hepcidin to determine the relative importance of maternal versus embryo hormonal activity for embryo iron endowment. Systemic iron homeostasis is regulated by hepcidin, which triggers degradation of ferroportin, the only known mammalian iron exporter. The primary down-regulators of hepcidin activity are iron deficiency, erythropoiesis, and pregnancy, whereas inflammation is the primary upregulator. In both humans and rodents, maternal hepcidin levels are profoundly decreased in mid to late pregnancy. Low levels of hepcidin allow for increased absorption of dietary iron and mobilization of iron from stores, thereby increasing the availability of iron for transfer across the placenta. Maternal hepcidin levels are regulated by maternal iron status, although the precise mechanism is unknown. Hepcidin is also produced by the fetus, with potential contributory effects on iron transport across the placenta. The presence of inflammatory conditions during pregnancy further complicates the picture, as inflammation could prevent appropriate suppression of hepcidin and thereby compromise iron availability. This report explores the role of maternal hepcidin activity during pregnancy in both healthy and inflammatory states. The investigators studied mice in which hepcidin was knocked out in either the mother or fetus. In initial experiments, the team sought to identify the primary determinants of embryo iron status. Specifically, they examined the contribution of maternal and embryo hepcidin to regulating iron transfer from mother to placenta and fetus in both normal and iron-loaded pregnancies. They examined the latter because under high iron conditions, when hepcidin is typically induced, embryo hepcidin could limit iron transfer across the placenta. To study the role of embryo hepcidin, the team produced genetically mixed litters of iron-sufficient, iron-loaded, and wild-type pups. They found statistically significant differences in liver hepcidin expression between the three genotypes, but these variations were not functionally relevant. There was no difference among the groups in concentrations of embryo serum iron or levels of liver or placental non-heme iron. Strikingly, these results showed that even under high iron conditions, embryo hepcidin had no effect on embryo iron endowment. In contrast, maternal hepcidin had a highly significant effect on embryo status. Maternal hepcidin deficiency was associated with a significant increase in both embryo and placenta non-heme iron. These findings demonstrated that it is the degree of maternal hepcidin suppression and not embryo or placental hepcidin that determines embryo endowment. Next, the researchers induced an inflammatory state to assess whether inflammation could counteract the physiological suppression of maternal hepcidin. The results were dramatic. 
In the inflammatory state, hepcidin levels increased more than 20-fold, reaching levels comparable to those seen in non-pregnant mice. The researchers then confirmed that the higher hepcidin levels resulted in lower serum iron, with a tenfold reduction observed compared to pre-inflammatory levels. It's well established that maternal inflammation is associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes, but whether hepcidin-mediated hypophoremia contributes to such outcomes is unknown. Having demonstrated that the presence of an inflammatory state in pregnancy was associated with hepcidin-mediated iron insufficiency, the team next attempted to isolate the effect of elevated maternal hepcidin from other effects of inflammation. To do this, the researchers injected pregnant mice with a hepcidin mimetic. Among other findings, they showed that despite adequate dietary iron, elevated maternal hepcidin activity caused maternal iron restriction and anemia. Finally, the researchers found that even modest hepcidin-mediated iron restriction in pregnant mice, at levels that did not substantially alter maternal hematological status or placental homeostasis, still had a detrimental effect on embryos, manifested as growth restriction, anemia, and tissue iron deficiency, including in the brain. The authors conclude that maintenance of appropriate maternal hepcidin levels during pregnancy is essential for embryo iron homeostasis and health. Of importance, in contrast to maternal hepcidin, embryo and placental hepcidin had no observable role in iron regulation in the absence of inflammation. In their commentary, Robert Fleming and Nermi Paro from St. Louis University School of Medicine cite this study's valuable new insights into the central role of maternal hepcidin in determining fetal iron status, the deleterious consequences of its elevation during pregnancy for both mother and fetus, and its relevance in the setting of inflammation. Fleming and Perot emphasize that hepcidin excess is not the only mediator of changes in iron metabolism in the presence of inflammation, and therefore, the mini-hepcidin systems used in the study would not be expected to completely model iron metabolism during inflammation. Still, these data suggest that elevated maternal hepcidin during pregnancy contributes to negative outcomes in the presence of inflammation. The authors conclude their commentary with a sports analogy. They observed that the current research, together with other recent studies of fetal hepcidin, establish maternal hepcidin as the, quote, heavy hitter, even if by being largely benched, but fetal hepcidin is also in the game even if it's not playing by the usual rules. A useful perspective on which to end this week's podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.